Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. One year ago this week, you might remember, was a bit of a precedent-setting week uh, when it comes to the oil industry and the global oil market. And it's not a week that we ever want to repeat again. It's not one we'd ever seen before uh, as oil was trading negative values. Companies literally paying customers to take the oil off their hands. Obviously, things have improved dramatically. We know that. But the past year, highlighted by that day, may have put in some permanent changes to the oil industry. We're going to find out. Uh, Richard Masson is an executive fellow at the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy. He joins us now to talk more about that day and the year that's unfolded since then. Richard, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here. So, yeah, let's go back to that day. I think it was uh, a year ago Tuesday where we actually slipped into negative territory on the pricing of oil. How did we get there? How did things actually end up being in negative territory for the world oil price? Well, I mean, it started with the pandemic, which was the big driver of, uh, you know, everybody starting to stay home and demand was falling. And then Russia and Saudi Arabia had a falling out about the best way to uh, manage the supply. And so Saudi Arabia decided to crank up its production uh, to make sure that it maintained market share. Mm-hmm. And so the whole global market was unsettled, very unsettled. And prices were kind of in the 20s going into that period in April of 2020. And so the, the futures contract um, is, uh, you know, interesting in that you actually, if you hold a futures contract, long contract, have to take delivery of oil at Cushing um, in the U.S. at the day of settlement. And so what happened is the folks who had these contracts, they typically are financial players, and they never have the infrastructure, the, you know, the tank space to take physical delivery. They tend to sell those contracts before expiry and move to the next month. And in this instance, there was just so much pressure on the price and the tanks were so full at cushion because we didn't have much demand that nobody wanted to buy these contracts. And so the the buyers knew that the the holders of the contracts were under deep pressure, mm-hmm. and they just kept pushing down the price and pushing down the price throughout the day until it went very negative. Uh, I remember that day the premier coming out and saying this is this is a disaster. This is a horrible thing. Saying it struck at the heart of the Canadian economy. Um, did it cause? change in the way that we we take a look at this industry? I mean, it was something that had never happened before. How um, earth-shaking was it for the oil and uh, gas sector in our country? Well, you know, there's kind of two, well, there's many parts, but two big parts to this sector. One is the producers um, who have, have, you know, ongoing production they have to sell. Mm -hmm. And then there's a big industry, a marketing industry. And and they're traders who buy that oil, um, they move it to to refiners who are going to use it. They often um, repackage it and blend it to meet refiners' needs. And they try to speculate on 
will the price change between when the producer produces it and when it gets to the refiner? They may hold some inventories. So those marketing people are very sophisticated. And one of the things that was really uh, a challenge that day is, you know, those marketing folks who are all financial players didn't have the physical infrastructure to manage the risk that they faced. And so some people made a lot of money, some people lost a lot of money, but I think a lot of the marketing business really recognized We've, we can't take this kind of risk anymore if we don't have the physical ability to, to settle it. We, we have to make sure we get out um, well before a big problem like this could happen. Um, now, obviously, since that day, things have slowly recovered. We're actually in a pretty good position now, aren't we? Well, I think we're actually in a very good position right now. It's, it's quite amazing how, um, you know, that time scared the world, I guess, is yeah. one way to look at it. And OPEC Plus, which is, you know, primarily Saudi Arabia, and Russia decided to work together to manage the market. They made a bold move. They said they would take 10 million barrels a day off the market. Demand, of course, had dropped by something like 18 million barrels a day at the worst. Um, but demand has picked up a lot and is almost back to where it was before the pandemic, uh, China leading the way as they've recovered. And so OPEC has, still has some spare capacity. They still are withholding um, production, but the, the great big inventories that we had that were filling up all the tanks yeah. have really come down. And so, you know, to see prices in the in the mid sixties um, is very good for Alberta. Uh, one of the big keys for us is the differential between Western Canadian Select, which is our benchmark for heavy oil, and Western uh, WTI, West Texas Intermediate, is only about ten dollars right now. So. There's a lot of demand for our heavy oil. Right now we have enough pipelines to get it to market. And so the producers here in Alberta are making uh, really good cash flow right now. Um, so we haven't seen um, the complete uh, re-emergence from the pandemic in, in much of the world. So I would assume that if we're already back to pre-pandemic levels, we've got to have some pretty um, optimistic viewpoints of where we're going to be in the next month and the next year, right? Things will continue to go up? I think that's the general view um, from everything I've been able to read is, you know, people, there's a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, travel is still going to be a bit of a question mark until, you know, planes start flying at the rate of before mm-hmm. and, and ships for cruises and things. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are driving in the meantime and, and using gasoline. Uh, you know, heavy, heavy trucks and trains have been working hard, lots of diesel consumption. And the economy, with all this stimulus, is probably going to bounce back pretty strong. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's been a big increase in in consumption in 2021, and it's projected will be above uh, pre-COVID levels by the end of this year or into next, and and probably have a couple of strong years after that. Um, So, in terms of the sector in our province, uh, what are we seeing with some of the big producers in Alberta? Are investors starting to feel more comfortable coming back into play? And uh, what are companies doing as, as we get back into more solid footing? Well, there's a couple parts to that. One is, you know, the companies really cranked down on their spending to make sure that they would be safe through um, that low, low price period. And a lot of them haven't decided to increase their capital budgets yet. They're, they're really wary. And what they're doing instead is using this better cash flow to pay down debt and make sure their balance sheets are strong. The other big part for Alberta was we, we were... You know, growing production from the investment that had been made up to 2014 as as oil sands projects were completed, but we didn't have new pipelines. And Mm -hmm. so we were, you know, you recall we were um, restraining production. Alberta mandated that. So that production restraint has come off. Um, Right now, pipelines are about full. We're starting to move, you know, by rail, 200,000 barrels a day. 
companies, if they're confident that we're going to get uh, Line 3 replacement done later this year, Trans Mountain expansion done in a couple of years, then they're going to start to feel confident enough to start drilling new wells and expanding projects. So they're setting themselves up right now. They're paying down debt and strengthening their position. And if we can get the transportation issues resolved, I think we could have some solid growth over the next four or five years. Well, that is encouraging. Any barriers that you see that are in place that we need to resolve and resolve quickly? Is it primarily getting it to market? It is primarily getting it to market. That's been our biggest challenge uh, for the last number of years. And, of course, um, we're not there yet. We're building pipelines. Line 3 is is nearly done. Um, But Trans Mountain still has a couple of years of construction to go. So we we do need to get those things done in a timely way and and make sure we don't have, you know, big delays for any reason. Um, And, you know, I think the... The environmental questions that we're all all facing right now will continue to be a challenge, and the oil sands companies are working to try and improve their performance. Um, Sonova, CNRL, for example, have both said they want to get to net zero by 2050. And so we've got to find a way to square developing more of our resource with meeting Canada's climate change goals and the demand for oil in the world, because it's primarily driven by growth in Asia, and we're a good supplier for Asia as they as they increase their demand. All right, Richard, uh, good discussion and some good insight. Appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Yeah, no problem, Shay. Thanks. Thank you very much. That is uh, Richard Masson, who is an executive fellow at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy.